welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. I've asked Tony to read for us from Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 15 to 23. In this passage is Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus, and by extension for all believers, that we might grow in our understanding of what God has done for us and who we are in Christ. Good morning all. This morning we are going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Well, this prayer gets to the heart of what Paul is writing about in this letter. The first three chapters, Paul writes of what God has done for us in Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the, the letter breaks down into two uh, parts. The first three chapters speak of our riches in Christ, showing us all that God has done for us. And then chapters four to six, our responsibility in Christ. In the first three chapters, uh, there's no commands, uh, with the exception in chapter two, where the Gentiles are told to remember who, who they were before uh, their salvation. But in chapters 4 to 6, we see a number of commands, 35 imperatives given to the church, both in regard to individual and family life, as well as their relationship within the church. And when we as believers look at these commands and expectations of how we should be living our lives in relationship to each other, it is easy to become discouraged because we often fail and come short of this high standard of Christian living. Someone has rightly said that the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. And it is impossible in our own strength and according to our own wisdom. 
Many believers have become content with a, a sub-Christian life, uh, living a life that is less than what God had planned for them. And I believe the main reason for this discouragement and failure is due to the fact that their spiritual eyes are dull to see. It is what Paul calls in his prayer, the eyes of your hearts. Uh, this is having eyes of spiritual perception. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 of believers who are not growing spiritually as having spiritual myopia, a nearsightedness, even to the point of blindness. They only see the things that are near, things that are earthly. Peter says that they had forgotten that God had cleansed them from their sins. They have lost sight of the, the grand and glorious things that God has done for them and who they are in Christ. This is what the letter to the Ephesians does for us. It lifts us up into the heavenlies or the heavenly places and allows us to see the rich blessings of God's grace and power and mercy and love and wisdom which he has lavished on us in Christ Jesus. Let me read again for you from this uh, section where Paul prays uh, for the believers, Ephesians 1, uh, from verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And this is what God does for us in the first three chapters of this letter. It is like climbing up to a high mountain. And when you reach the top, you look all around and take in the beauty uh, that this vantage point gives you. If we're to live godly lives, we need this spiritual vantage point. We need to see the world and, our, and all of our problems from God's vantage point. For, for sure, we cannot understand or see as God does. But he has enabled us through his word and the Holy Spirit who lives within us to know and to understand things that are not understood by the natural or the unsaved man. This knowledge is not just information to be learned intellectually, but to be experienced as we grow in sanctification and likeness to Christ. Paul used this word translated heavenly places five times in this letter. It refers to the, the spiritual or heavenly realm as contrasted with the earthly. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As we have seen in his prayer in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he he speaks of the resurrection of Christ and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. 
He says in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And because we are in Christ, we too are seated with him in the heavenly places. In chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you see how Paul is leading us to the vantage point of the heavenlies, God's vantage point? <clears throat> Although we're very much still here on earth, we are born from above into a new heavenly kingdom. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this letter helps us by the eye of faith to see who we are in Christ. In chapter 3, in verse 10, he refers to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And there he speaks of the angelic realm that learns about the manifold wisdom of God through what God is doing in the church. And at the end of this letter, he admonishes us to avail ourselves of the spiritual resources available to us for battle in the spiritual realm. We read for you in Ephesians 6, in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this letter teaches us to look past the immediate and the temporal and to see with spiritual perception what God has planned for us and who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ should be the basis for what we do. And so we have the two parts to this letter. Our, in the first part, our spiritual wealth. And in the second part, our spiritual walk. The first three chapters are calling, and the last three chapters are conduct. Who we are and how we should act. Our position, our practice, our belief, our behavior. We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and yet all too often Christians live like spiritual paupers. Over the years, there's been many stories of people who although very wealthy, lived like they were paupers. One such man was Joseph Leake. Even his family was unaware that he had money because he lived as if he was very poor. His daughters reported that he watched television at the neighbor's house to save electricity. He bought secondhand clothes and he didn't take care of the repairs to his house and and he seemed like many people who had just enough to get by. But when he died at the age of 90, it was discovered that he had over 30 million rand. It's hard to believe that someone would fail to utilize their material resources when they had such an abundance. But as Christians, our failure is much greater when we don't realize or appropriate the riches that we have in Christ. Our high and holy calling, our position in the heavenly places, 
is the foundation and source of power for our holy conduct and practice. Paul begins this letter with his general way of greeting. You look with me in Ephesians 1, in verse 1, there he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Paul would often make this point that his writings is not according to his own opinion or his own authority. He is an apostle of Christ, sent by Christ with the very authority of God himself, so that what he wrote is the word of God. This is what he's referring to in chapter 2 and verse 20 when he's, he says that uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets in Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God revealed to his apostles and prophets the foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when someone says something like, well, I don't agree with Paul on this or, or on that, they are in effect saying they don't agree with God. Paul was writing from his imprisonment in Rome about uh, AD 60 to 62. And it seems that he wrote this letter together with Colossians and Philemon at about the same time, and that he sent them by Tychius together with Onesimus, uh, the runaway slave of Philemon. Ephesus was a prominent city, a political and educational and commercial center of Asia Minor. And we know from Acts that Paul was there briefly on his way back home at the end of his second missionary journey. Aquila and Priscilla traveled with him from Corinth and stayed in Ephesus and was used by God to help start this church there. Paul returned on his third journey and stayed there some two to three years and after visiting the other churches, came and met with the elders from Ephesus before going to Jerusalem. And he admonishes these elders to care for the church as shepherds and warns them of false teachers. In Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, uh, he says to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The last word we have about this church is in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the, the first of the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And we read there in verse, verse chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so we see that this church did stand against false teachers, but had become unloving. This is always a danger uh, as you fight against error that you do so in the flesh. You'll remember that Paul admonishes this church in chapter 4 and verse 15 to speak the truth in love. This is also another emphasis in this letter with the word agape appearing 10 times. 
we go back to the introduction, notice how he identifies his audience. In verse 1, he says, To the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He makes three statements about these believers. He calls them saints, faithful, and in Christ. The word saints is used 61 times in the New Testament to refer to Christians. It is the Greek word hagios and is most often translated holy. Christians belong to God and are set apart for him, and they are thus holy ones. Paul also called them faithful. This is the Greek word pistos, and is translated faithful, reliable, or believing. Both of these words are attributes of God. He alone is holy and faithful in the full sense of these words. But because we are in Christ, our spiritual standing in union with him, we are called holy and faithful because that is what we will be. It is what God has predetermined and called us to be. But I can imagine that as the church at Ephesus and the believers in the surrounding areas heard this description, they feel like we do. I'm not very holy or I'm not very faithful. See, in our practice, in our walk, we fall short of holiness and of faithfulness to God. But the realization of our identification with Christ and what God has done for us and is doing in us and will complete in us, it motivates us and encourages us to walk with Him and submit to the will of the Holy Spirit as He empowers us to be holy and to be faithful. Our being in Christ is a very significant truth for us as the church. It is used 13 times in this letter. To be in Christ is to be in union with Him. He is our representative head, and as the representative head of His people, He went to the cross, and He died there, and in His death, we died. And when the representative head came forth from the grave, we came forth from the grave in Him. And when the representative head ascended to the right hand of the Father, we have come forth and have ascended to the right hand of the Father in Him. As we continue in Paul's greeting, we see his, uh, his normal greeting, grace and peace. He says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One author writes, grace expresses God's steadfast love toward man and peace shows the relational state as a result of that grace. You see, because of God's grace to us, we not only have peace with God, but also peace from God. Well, there's certain longings within the heart of man that can only be satisfied by a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the world seeks to fill these longings in other ways. There's a, a constant pursuit and desire for wealth and for purpose, for love and for power. But they're looking for them in all the wrong places, in all the wrong ways. 
This letter reveals the source of real wealth, true purpose, genuine love, and conquering power, and it is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The world has its imitations. Instead of riches in Christ in the heavenly places, the world offers treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead of true purpose in life with joy and peace and fulfillment, the world offers ambition, self-indulgence, and selfishness. And instead of genuine love, the world offers lust. And instead of conquering power to live a victorious life through the indwelling Holy Spirit, the world offers clout and prestige and a pretense of power and freedom while in reality they're in bondage to sin and to Satan. God, by His divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. May we live in the riches of His grace this week. Well, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And then we have uh, the song, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. And as we read this letter, we are, uh, we are amazed at the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And we can praise Him for who He is and what He has done. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise You and thank You, Lord, for who You are, for Your wisdom and Your power and Your majesty and Your grace and love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your plan of redemption. Thank you for what you have accomplished in and through the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Lord, thank you for that grace and for the grace that is, is manifold in our life on an ongoing basis. Thank you that we're saved by grace. And Lord, may we live by grace in dependence upon you and submission to you, so that we might live according to your riches. Lord, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You've given us all things that we need for life and godliness. Lord, may we appropriate those blessings, that grace that's given, that power that's given to us, through your word and through the Spirit of God that indwells us. Lord, may we be lifted up to the heavenlies as we read this letter and as we think upon you and what you have done for us and for all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Lord, may it lift us up to a, a higher life, a godlier life, a more dedicated life for you. May your love, Lord, compel us to live for you in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.